It's been a little interesting as we've kind of started into using the lectionary. This is not something that I'm uh, used to, have done a lot of. I have not been a, a participant in churches that really follow this structure very often. What's been interesting for me is to get done with a sermon or be in uh, preparing for a sermon and a service and hearing people from very different Christian traditions all preparing for the same thing. Connecting with the larger body of Christ, knowing that we are growing and hearing God's word um, from the similar scriptures uh, throughout the week. And so that's been a, a really interesting thing to find those connections with other brothers and sisters uh, around God's big church. So this morning we come and we look at um, Matthew's version of the story, and as we, we go from Joseph bringing Mary and Jesus out of Egypt and settling in Nazareth, uh, Matthew gives us a brief introduction to John the Baptist. We don't get John's full backstory here in uh, Matthew's version. We don't find out about um, uh, Elizabeth's miraculous uh, conception of itself. She's, she's well beyond childbearing years, and yet she has the, receives this promise, and, and Mary comes, and uh, well, they're both pregnant, and this child within Elizabeth leaps for joy, and this is John the Baptist uh, in the womb. And so John and Jesus are cousins, and we know that from elsewhere in Scripture, but we don't get the full backstory here. In Matthew's uh, telling of the story, we see John coming in the footsteps of the Old Testament prophets. Matthew quotes from Isaiah when he says, uh, John is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John comes teaching uh, a message of repentance, and John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John comes in the footsteps of a new Elijah. The, the folks, uh, the, the Jewish folks of their time were waiting for a new Elijah to come to uh, prepare the way for the, the Lord's anointed, the, the Messiah, the Christ. And so here Matthew is making those connections for the folks. As we come and we look at these connections, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your servants, the prophets, and messengers who help point us to you. I pray that as we look at one of these messengers, one of these prophets, that you would uh, again be pointing us to your son. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew tells us that John goes to the wilderness. God seems to have a thing for going into the wilderness. Uh, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the, the chosen people, are brought out of Egypt and they spend 
40 years wandering in the wilderness. It's a time of testing. It's a, it's a time of being refined. It's a time of trying to really find God. The exile that the, the people of Israel go through is seen as another kind of wilderness experience, a, a time of testing. I wonder why John goes to the wilderness, though, to baptize. It seems like you would have more people, have more of an audience if you stuck close to the cities, if you made it easy for people to get to you and to hear your message. But baptism in Scripture is never about an easy road. Maybe John's teaching something here about counting the cost of following God, that takes intentionality, purpose. And yet God brings new life amidst the wilderness and the deserts of life. There's different ideas as to why John dressed in such a way. Matthew says he dressed in uh, camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. These are strange, weird Things. The prophets are known for doing strange and weird things. If you go back into the Old Testament and you read some of the things that the prophets do, they are weird. And they're infused with all kinds of meaning, but they're strange. They're very purposeful. They're um, ways of making grand demonstrations for the message that God wants them to, to bring. You didn't just hear a message, you saw something. So John comes dressed in a very austere way, following in the, the footsteps of the Old Testament prophets. He eats locusts and honey. Locusts were, were known for devouring crops, for plagues of locusts coming in. It happened in, in Egypt. Um, it happens different times throughout history where there's these massive swarms of locusts that come and they devour the crops. They destroy the crops. And yet the people of Israel, when they enter the wilderness, what are they looking for? They're looking for the land flowing with milk and honey. And so maybe in a, in a graphic way, John is devouring the devourer, he's eating the locusts, and also pointing towards something new, a land flowing of milk and honey again. Prophets do some strange things, but it's for a reason, as a way of proclaiming the kingdom. What is it about prophets that fascinates us? We see their strange actions, we hear their, uh, their words, and there's something about it that draws us in. There's something about it that we can't resist. Maybe it's because, you know, it's hard to turn away from a train wreck when something big and, and, and loud is happening. You want to turn and you want to look. You're not sure if you're going to like what you see. So I think the prophets are fascinating to us because we, we love to hear this, um, this committed call to following Jesus. We love to see the, the passion of the prophets. 
But what is it about the prophets that also frightens us? Maybe we're worried that they might call us to account. Maybe we're afraid we won't really like what they have to say. It's into the wilderness that John goes to baptize. John's baptism is far different than other Jewish ritual cleanings. Uh, John's baptism is unique. First of all, John's is a one-time washing. It was customary for, for Jewish folks to have all kinds of ritual washings that they would do before they ate, before they went to the temple, uh, all kinds of things like that. There were all kinds of reasons why they need, needed to go through this uh, ritual, repeated purification. John's is a, a baptism of repentance following the confession of sin. But a lot of the, the Jewish ritual washing had nothing to do with sin. It was you had done this kind of activity and now you needed to be cleansed. You were about to eat and so you needed to be cleansed. You were about to go to the temple and so you needed to be cleansed just to wash off all of those impurities. But it wasn't about repentance or confession necessarily. John also baptized those who were truly sorry for their sin and their brokenness. The Jewish ritual cleansing was a, a self-baptism of those who were ritually unclean. It was something that they had to do. So why does Jesus feel like he needs to be baptized? Why does Jesus go where these sinners are gathering, where John's uh, preaching that you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawn, is, has drawn near. Why does Jesus go to be baptized? Jesus doesn't need to repent of anything. John knows and is fully aware that if anyone should be baptizing, it should be Jesus. He says, you know, I should be the one that you baptize, not me baptize you. John knows he's not worthy to be doing this baptism. And yet Jesus says, let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean? It's possible that Jesus here is identifying with sinners. This is the story of the cross itself. That Jesus, the, the perfect Holy Lamb of God identifies with sinners, takes on the sin of the world. And Jesus here is saying, let me get down in the waters with my brothers and sisters who are sinners. Let me swim in these waters for a moment. God identifies with the broken not just from the perspective of a holy, perfect, completely righteous God, but he comes to see what our life is really like. It's also possible that Jesus is allowing John to fulfill his prophetic role. This is the new Elijah 
fulfilling his mission and paving the way for the Messiah. John is pointing people to the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this is one more instance where John can point people to Jesus. It also follows uh, some of the traditions of the Old Testament where a prophet would anoint a new king. It starts with Samuel who goes and anoints Saul as the the first king of, of Israel. Samuel will then go and anoint David as the next king. And prophets were known for anointing the kings. And so Jesus enters the baptism. It's a, it's a way of John anointing Jesus as the new Messiah. It's an anointing that is confirmed by God, the Father and the Spirit, who says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit comes confirming that anointing. See, what Matthew's doing is highlighting the obedience of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't need to repent. He wouldn't have to identify with the other sinners that are responding to John's message. He wouldn't have to enter the waters of baptism. But Jesus will be obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And Jesus' obedience invites our own obedience. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be baptized. He will continue on into the, the wilderness for uh, 40 days of testing and trial as a further reflection of what the people of Israel had gone through following Exodus. We are called to face our own wilderness, our own dry places, our own sinfulness, and to be baptized into a new life, a a, a new way of being and of living. So as Jesus' obedience invites our own, it seems to me that there's something that we need to do this morning beyond talking about obedience, and that might be to be obedient. And so we're going to practice some obedience this morning. Jesus himself enters the the waters in the pattern of a repentant sinner. And so for a moment, I want you to close your eyes. I know it's always dangerous for the pastor to say, close your eyes. I want to guide us in a time of prayer. And I'm going to leave some moments for us to reflect on our own lives. As John came proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Holy, merciful, and loving God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. By what we have done,
and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Would you repeat these words after me? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. In this moment of silence, we face our wilderness and the dry places without life. But we do not always and forever remain in the wilderness. When we baptize here at Spring Creek, we enter into the waters. And in the movement down, we die to ourselves. And we are raised to new life, forgiven by a merciful, loving Savior. Know that you are forgiven and loved and cherished. In Acts 10.43, we hear these words. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So you can open your eyes now. It's helpful to know intellectually that we are forgiven, that God loves us, that he is full of grace and mercy. But you know, sometimes it's also helpful to hear the words out loud. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, friend, you are forgiven and loved. As Jesus comes out of the water. The Spirit of God comes down as a dove. And the dove is a, a sign of new life. Think back again to the, the Old Testament. First time we see a dove is when Noah is waiting on the ark. The world has just been baptized. The old is gone. The new they're waiting for. And the dove comes back with signs of new life. So the dove comes down as a sign that something new is happening. As a sign of new life. The dove is a sign that the kingdom has come near. And a new world has begun even in the shell of the old. I want to invite 
you this morning. If you've never taken the, the step of obedience, of, of baptism, I'd love to talk with you more about what that is about, about our practice here at Spring Creek of being baptized into a new life as a, a way of proclaiming, I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'd love to talk with you more about what that means for your life and for our life together. Friends, as we draw our worship towards a close this morning, I invite you to take your bulletins and ask that you would stand as we read these words of response together this morning. God, our Deliverer, we remember how by your loving hand you led the sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah through the deep waters from bondage to freedom and marked them a holy people through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You gave us Jesus, the child of Mary and Joseph, your beloved son, our Lord. We remember John baptizing him in the water of the Jordan, the spirit descending upon him like a dove, and the offering of himself to free us from sin and death and to lead us to everlasting life. By the washing of water and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are baptized into the covenant of your grace and made one with Christ and his church and commissioned to show forth his love in word and deed. Once we were no people. Now we are God's people. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto our God forever and ever.